Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the WILX Sports Splits podcast. My name is John Gustin, and we've got an interesting show for you guys today. Not quite as maybe hopeful or jubilant as we were maybe thinking of happening. We're hoping for Michigan State to have a decent run in the NCAA tournament. And then coming up later in this episode, I've also got Norma Gonzalez from the Salt Lake Tribune. She was going to preview BYU. We'll still do that preview, so that way, if you're going to continue to watch UCLA to see their progress, you'll at least know their next matchup and how they're going to do. But we're going to dive right in. Kellen Buddy's joining us, and it is, uh, well, it's a rather fitting end to the season of there's a, there's a high point, and there was a moment where everything was looking great, and then it uh, completely crashes and falls apart, and kind of ends in a disappointing fashion, but after a somewhat good effort. Yeah, uh, I call it March sadness. Um, <laughs> Michigan, Michigan State. Um, and, I mean, this was a game where everything is going right in the first half. This gave me shades of Maryland in the Big Ten tournament. Oh, yeah. The, the Spartans building up a double-digit lead uh, in the first half. Um Everything seems to be going right, except for a few uh, defensive lapses, you know, not getting the switches right off ball. And we'll talk about that in, in just a little bit. Um, I see you rolling your eyes. <laughs> um, but it, 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 it just happens almost every game where you see this team show some brilliant flashes, but they can't put 40 minutes together. And that's exactly what we saw here. Uh, against UCLA. Obviously, I don't want to uh, discredit the Bruins for their performance. Obviously, Jaime Jaquez uh, with a, an incredible 27 points. And um, I actually watched him play against my alma mater, Marquette, earlier this year, and he had a very similar performance. So I'm not going to take away um, anything that UCLA did, but um, you don't put 40 minutes or in this case, 45 minutes of basketball together. You're, you're not going to succeed, especially in, in March madness. And I think that's the biggest issue. Um, the, the Spartans had most of the season and it, and it came back to bite them. Uh, I just don't, I just don't know exactly what the issue is. Is it, is it coaching? Is it stamina? What is it? So there's, there's a lot of questions heading into the, off season and, and I definitely think Spartan fans next fall, while they'll be excited, they will be skeptical and I think they have every right to be. Yeah, I think what I was seeing too, the first half they were attacking this team, the defense was there, they're able to attack and transition, which is really when most teams are best, but this is a very athletic switching team and it makes sense that with these players, Rocket Watts, with a name like that, you should be good in transition. And it, it looked like it was going well. And then just defensively, I think it was a complete kind of going like maybe between boxing rounds. You're coming out of a round, you dominated, and then going right into the next round. UCLA threw a haymaker to start the second half going on that instant run, basically almost erasing Michigan State's lead. And it it never was quite the same. And then the offensive struggles at the very end of the game, too, where they what only scored three points or so with the last three minutes of the game and then almost nothing in overtime. Langford strives des- out of desperation where the only offense generated. And it it was something to see that I think what will be indicative of a lot of things, both for this season and might play a role for the future, that Rocket Watts 
Izzo benches him with the final minutes of overtime. The, the offense is completely ground to a halt. Nothing's happening. And he puts in A.J. Hogard as more of a true point guard to run the show. And I don't really know where you go from there. If you're benching one of your supposedly your star players in the most important time of your entire season, that that sets up a lot of things and is kind of representative of the season two of Watts never put together what everyone expected or hoped from him. Yeah, he's one of those players where there's no middle ground. If Rocket Watts is playing well, he's playing like a man possessed. And we saw that a little bit tonight, a little bit against Michigan a couple weeks ago to wrap up the regular season. Um, He's a player that we know if he starts playing consistently and he starts playing well, he's going to be a big asset. But the other issue there is – I think he might be rushing things a little too much. You know, you'll see him take contested three-pointers with two or three defensive players on him. Uh, at the And then that the, air ball last night, too, yeah. right after uh, Aaron Henry's air ball. And that's not what you want to see is then consecutive air balls. Yeah, it, and it's just uh, I don't know what happened between the, the first and the second half, whether it was uh, an exchange in the locker room, but – it suddenly seemed like Michigan State was not moving the ball as much and not moving off ball as much as they were in the first half and and making UCLA kind of, you know, scramble defensively. You know, you saw a couple times in the first half where they would swing the ball around the arc and everybody would get a touch and then it'd be a wide open three at the end. You didn't really see that extra pass. Yeah, that extra pass. You didn't really see that good ball movement in the second half and it led to oh crap, it's 3-2-1, I better get this shot off um, because, you know, uh, you'd rather see a shot taken uh, and and miss at the buzzer, I think, than no shot at all. But, you know, if you're not even going to hit the rim, if you're not even going to hit backboard, what's the point? So I think that's Rocket Watts' biggest issue is he's still a young player. Obviously, he's um, going to be one of the people you look forward to next year as being a leader, but there's still some of those issues where if he's not given the time and the space that he needs, it's going to be a struggle for him. And, and I think that's only going to get more difficult as he gets older, he's going to have some higher expectations. So uh, yeah, we'll just see where that goes, but yeah. um, Shocking result, but really not all that surprising considering what we've seen this year from Michigan state. Yeah, big picture-wise, definitely not shocking. Maybe more mid-game after just watching the lead blown. I mean, they they had been up more than double digits, and it looked great. I saw possibly the best game I've ever seen in only 16 minutes, which was odd because I would have thought they would play them more with uh, Beanham. Marcus Beanham, he looked like an absolute eraser out there, this perfect rim-running center who could block every shot and really affect the defense. And in, in the first half, you were talking about the offensive flow, and immediately they were at least the first two or three possessions they had sets these you know pre-diagrammed plays that they were running and everything was moving crisp and then it just never was able to be put back together you have a lot of people out there roasting joey hauser for his defense uh and part of that too was you had guys who had career nights for ucla between um jaime jaquez and then johnny juzan and both of them for UCLA, it kind of felt like they came out of nowhere, but then Michigan State wasn't really able to defend him with 
Rocket Watts wasn't able to stay in front of people. Uh, Gabe Brown had a lot of issues with switches, which is what led to that confrontation with Izzo. And it, not great when a Tom Izzo team, there's issues with defense because that's one of the things he preaches most. And when he was preaching that right at halftime to Gabe Brown, he reached out, grabbed him, and kind of the player and the coach got in each other's face. There's a lot of reaction on social media. What do you make of that? Yeah. Well, first, I, I just want to touch on on the Bingham situation. Um, if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be uh, a major asset for the Michigan State Spartans. Um, the Athletics' Brendan Quinn tweeted last night, Michigan State is 6-1 and one when Bingham plays 15 or more minutes, 13-6 and six when Bingham plays 10 or more minutes, and 2-6 and six when Bingham plays fewer than 10 minutes. Bingham played 20 minutes last night, but was still kind of riding the bench a little bit as the game got down toward the final minutes. Um, that's, that's an issue where I think if you're going to risk someone fouling out, that's the time to do it. Uh, Bingham was finding all of the – spots to get open on the floor on the offense and he was playing really well defensively uh, I don't know why we didn't see Bingham on the floor a little more um, but I think that's something that might have helped Michigan State um, I just thought I'd have to throw that in there because he was no he no was- it, it, is, it is something because he he looked fantastic and if that's yeah. the Bingham we've seen all season he would have been the starting center and I think Michigan State would have picked up a few more wins yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we'll look forward to see that next year. Uh, but yeah, the the Izzo situation with with Gabe Brown. You know, I first want to say, obviously, this isn't the first time we've seen this before. The last time the Spartans were in the tournament, uh, I believe the game was the uh, round of sixty four game against Bradley. Uh, we had the same kind of deal where Izzo got a little frustrated with something Aaron Henry did. Uh, the and- other in forward, yeah. Yeah, and and those two had a little bit of an exchange. Um, Michigan State fans and even Tom Izzo said last night, they'll, they'll tell you that this is nothing new, nothing to be shocked about. It's just passionate coaching, passionate playing. Um, you know, the Spartans at that point were either 20 minutes away from moving on and getting that 11 seed to play BYU in the tournament, or they were 20 minutes away from their season ending in a uh, less than impressive way. Uh, and so I think tempers are flaring there. And both of them were just passionate. Gabe Brown was making an argument um, about that switch. And I think, you know, if you look at the replay, uh, Hawkes uh, with that wide open three pointer at the end of the half, uh, it was wide open and Gabe Brown kind of didn't really see that switch coming. So I think that's obviously it is where Izzo was frustrated about it. Um, and Gabe Brown had some words and um, you, you just go from there. But uh, I think, yes, the grabbing makes it look worse, I think, than the situation actually was. But, um, you know, in the long run, I don't think Gabe Brown and, and Tom Izzo are going to uh, have any problems with each other. And um, the same thing happened again with Aaron Henry a couple years ago, and you see how their relationship has evolved, and I think it's only been for the better. So um, I could be wrong. I hope I'm not, but I don't see this as being a very big issue between those two or the entire program moving forward. Yeah, I don't think it's – I think it's just more the aesthetics, and it's just something where everybody is – 
heightened on uh, people kind of grabbing each other and things like that. And I think that's a good thing overall. But I think also with athletics and it's basketball, it's not considered quite the level of contact sport football is, but it's a pretty physical game with people getting at each other. And I think that that as long as, you know, he's not pulling a Bobby Knight, he's not being abusive, he's not throwing chairs. It's just people kind of being allowed. And it is that dynamic relationship. It's also maybe different, too, because Brown was walking away. And maybe if the two men were going towards each other, that looks a little different. Because Draymond, I remember plenty of games where Draymond is kind of bodying up with Izzo. And they're kind of bodying each other back and forth. But I think that's a little bit different of a look when you're you're just kind of talking directly at each other versus going into the locker room. So it, it's probably a timing thing. And I don't think it'll be anything for it because... Uh, this is would probably be just the intensity is nothing new both ways. It's encouraged, and he, he's he been with the program. They've all been there. There's nothing, I think, too egregious there. Now, I've yeah. got two quick roster questions for you. So this is Langford's last game, which I just want to give him a shout-out for the fact that a man with multiple foot injuries not only came back but played at a high level and then also led MSU in rebounding in – a 6'5 guard with multiple foot surgeries led Michigan State in rebounding, and that's not the only time he's led them in rebounding this season. So that's both an incredible thing for him, but then also uh, kind of a what-the-heck situation with Michigan State. You think, now I think you've got the bigs kind of boxing out and allowing him to do that, but it also maybe shows there there's some interesting questions with the roster going forward. Where do you think that this game leaves its mark for Michigan State, where it's going to develop from here? Langford's going to go... Aaron Henry, there's a lot of talk that he might go. There might be some interesting transfers. What do you think this team looks like in the fall of 2021? Yeah, I think the 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 issue with, with Langford is there's really no gray area here. Uh, Langford said last night that was his last game at Michigan State. Obviously, he could have the option to uh, grad transfer given that extra year of eligibility. Um, to uh, another school. Um, obviously, he said it's his last game at Michigan State. I, I don't expect hearing that, that he will come back, uh, but you never know where he's going to end up. So, uh, But I, I do want to reiterate, he has been, um, you know, not necessarily impressive on the scoreboard, but his mentality and his leadership and everything that he has gone through, um, he's been one of the more, impressive players I've watched at MSU. Uh, And you throw that in with Cassius Winston, Xavier Tillman, uh, all of those guys who have shown success. Langford is definitely up there with them. Um, So I I just want to congratulate him on on a great career with with Michigan State and uh, hope he is successful in the future. Um, Going back to those roster issues, uh, I think the the biggest problem the the Spartans have is they they've got a lot of bigs uh, heading into the uh, heading into the next season. Um, obviously, you have Julius Marble uh, and, and Bingham and Madi Sissoko, and then you have some recruits. You got a lot of recruits that are coming in. So um, I think one of your biggest issues is who's going to be that guy. Uh, Obviously, Mahdi is still young, but he's shown a lot of potential. And the way we saw Bingham play last night, uh, you know, he could be the guy. So, um, and then we also saw the, uh, that decommit from uh, Enoch Boye. You know, that was kind of the 
the first, you know, shoe to fall in that kind of log jam down below the rim. So you just never know what's going to happen with that. Um, in terms of Aaron Henry, I, I don't necessarily see an issue there. Uh, if he wants to go, that's that's his prerogative, and that's what he wants to do. I I think at first it will be tough to kind of replace him. You, you know, a strong shooting forward. You know, he's been really helpful for Michigan State. Uh, been able to get a lot of points and kind of single handedly take them across the finish line in the win column. Um, so he'll be he'll be a struggle to replace, but. Um, if there's any team that can do it, it's it's Michigan State. So, um, uh, in my opinion, it's it might be a little early to uh, kind of speculate who's going to be on that roster come fall. But um, I definitely don't blame uh, people for thinking that when when they see how this season goes. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting too to see what happens with. Uh, I mean, Langford's departure, I think maybe, and then having maybe a healthy lawyer, maybe you can shift Watts. I mean, if season development, offseason, that Izzo said the point guard transition didn't quite happen as well as he would have liked with the lack of an offseason because there's a little thing called the coronavirus pandemic that's caused everything to be uh, unusual this year and thrown everyone off schedule. But I think maybe him and, and Hogarth together could be an interesting backcourt and then you have all these other recruits coming in at the wing. And right now, I think Aaron Henry, he projects, I'm seeing anything from mid-second round pick to late first. And to me, he looks like he's the perfect prototypical NBA wing where he's a guy who can shoot, defend, switch. So I think someone out there, if he decides to leave, which when there's that money on the table, it's it's pretty tempting that he'll, he'll make whoever he lands with pretty happy. Yeah, definitely. And... Um, you know, they, they deserve it. You know, that's hard work that he's put in. And, um, yeah, I 100% agree. If, if that money is there, um, you know, you've given your time to the program and perhaps more than I think we are all expecting. Uh, but, uh, if that, if that money is there, you, you take it and, um, you know, it's every, every player's dream to be in the NBA. And, um, I would hope nothing less, uh, for him. Now, we've got one more question. I'm going to let you go. There's a lot of developments happening as of today. We just found out through the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services that they are changing a capacity and how things are working with stadiums. It says that their capacity at outdoor stadiums, instead of being kind of based by on per seats and things like that, it'll be 20% capacity. But then there's also going to be this required testing for athletes uh, before, like with practices and events, obviously we're still trying to learn who's going to provide that and who's going to help pay for that, and how does a system even handle that demand? So I, I don't even know where to start with this. What is your initial reaction upon this news? My hope is that there isn't going to be an issue of supplying tests. Uh, one of the big questions that we've been talking about within the newsroom this morning is. If a team can't meet these requirements, are they going to have to opt out of the MHSAA tournaments? You know, specifically, we're talking about basketball here. You know, there's a lot of teams that are going to be in this tournament. Um, but are they going to be able to, to you know, follow the protocols and meet those requirements? Um, or are they going to have to kind of bail because of something that is really kind of out of their hands? Um, obviously, if a team wants to play, 
they'll find a way to get those tests and, and get those student athletes tested. But I also think it's on the state of Michigan here. If you're going to require these student athletes to be tested once a week, that's hundreds of tests you're taking a week. So if the state isn't going to supply those, and I hope they would do that just like they did with the pilot program that wrapped up the fall season, um, I, I, I hope the state is going to be able to help those schools out uh, a little bit. Um, I, I wouldn't call it fair to put these requirements on the schools and then not help them um, be able to meet those requirements. And uh, I, I do think the state will help. Uh, I just would be I'd, I'd be surprised I'll, I'll put it this way i'll be surprised if they don't if they don't help those schools uh with those with those testing kits i completely agree it it's something that it's going to need a lot of administrative uh, back end and organization and then financial support and i think considering how everyone has discussed the importance of athletics uh, and where you value it of maintaining some sense of normalcy a, a way to keep people moving forward that I hope everyone can come together and and support this because I think it is a daunting task. But if it is feasible, I think it is also something that is good to ensure player safety. Yeah, one hundred percent. The obviously the the safety is the biggest concern. Um, and one thing that also really concerned me was part of that press conference this morning. Governor Whitmer said that there is a bunch of data that proves that the increase in the coronavirus pandemic among schools has started in athletics. And that's been one of the biggest issues that we've been hearing from the, the let them play group, you know, the MHSAA, everybody is saying that there's no, there's no proof that the virus has been spread through athletics. In fact, it hasn't been, that's what they're saying. And here we're seeing the exact opposite, or at least we're hearing the exact opposite. Yeah, we, we just had another outbreak in mid-Michigan, right. and I think they said they, that was attributed to the variant, which is known to be more contagious. So that I think we maybe we had like one sample size of this is the information with the original strain that was in the area versus now we have a more contagious strain. Now athletic events become, because of its more contagious abilities, that... I think will play a factor, but there's still so much unknown. Yeah. And that's, that's the scariest part about this thing. And, you know, it's kind of frustrating that we've been dealing with this for a year and it doesn't feel like we've made any progress. And we just kind of accepted that, Oh, Hey, there's going to be a vaccine that comes out. Let's just, let's just wait. Um, and, And that, that part really frustrates me because it's, it's, it could have been uh, a month of, of hard work, uh, you know, staying socially distanced, masking up and doing all of the things right. And this could have been gone. Uh, obviously, it's easier said than done. But I, my my issue is, you know, we we're learning how to, I guess, live with the virus instead of learning how to defeat it. Uh, and that that's my that's my biggest concern. Um, I'll get off my soapbox before it goes any further. But that's where I stand with the whole situation right now. I could not agree with you more because there's I think there's a no situation where you look at it of that this is OK and that we should accept this as normal. And I think the vaccines will be a major help with that. 
and it's something about 70 million Americans out of you know, 333. So it's a little more than one in five Americans have now at least gotten their first shot. So I think we're on a good step with this. But then, two, the vaccine's not approved for anybody under the age of 16 right now. And youth sports, that's going to be a huge factor with schools and everything as well. So we all need to do our part to continue to clamp down on this. So, Kellen, I really appreciate you taking the time to cover such a broad spectrum today and let everyone know where they can find you and uh, where they can learn more about your investigation into the state's mandates. So you can check me out on Facebook, WILX Kellen Buddy, uh, on Twitter, at Kellen Buddy, no no caps, no lowercase, no dashes, anything like that, K-E-L-L-A-N-B-U-D-D-Y. And obviously you can check out our website. We'll have that story for you later this evening. And of course, tune into Channel 10. Uh, I would guess that this will be on at 5 o'clock instead of 5.30 or 6, but I can't be sure. I'll let you guys know if you're tuning in here. And now this is our second part of our Michigan State NCAA tournament coverage. Now, this was initially intended as a look ahead to uh, Michigan State's upcoming matchup, but unfortunately, they did not beat UCLA, and they lost. We covered that with Kellen Buddy uh, just a few moments ago, and now UCLA advances to take on the BYU Cougars, who have had a pretty solid season overall, coming in with a twenty and six record, third or second in their conference, ten and three in that, and. I, I'm not sure who I'd take in the matchup right now, but before we get any farther into it, I really want to thank Norma Gonzalez coming on from the Salt Lake Tribune. Norma, thank you so much for making time for us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's uh, introduce you to the WILX audience. Let's tell you a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how you wound up with the Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah, um, so I am a first-generation Mexican-American from South Texas, specifically from the Rio Grande Valley. And I've been a journalist, I'd say, for more than half of my life, just because I sort of started in middle school, um, following my dad around at political rallies in Mexico and helping him with his little editorial magazine. Um, But yeah, I moved to Utah about a year and a half ago from Arizona, where I spent the previous four years working at three different newspapers. And BYU's been my biggest beat so far and the biggest step in my career, and it's pretty fun. Yeah, BYU is definitely one of the bigger powerhouses, and it's also unique, too, in that it's a team kind of like Notre Dame, where it's followed throughout the country. So I'm sure you've got fans reading your work from uh, all across from Hawaii up to you know the Northeast in the New England area. And so that's got to be a very unique experience going and working your way up to now something that's not only just a large city and a large, large college, but one with a, a countrywide following. Yeah. And it's like even weirder because I'm not part of the LDS church. And so having to learn about the LDS church and how that works and how that plays a part in BYU athletics and all that, and how it just allows them to have fans all over the world. It's pretty crazy. Now, this year is going to be a little different with the NCAA tournament. A, well, they at least get to have it. B, a lot of people aren't there with the pandemic restrictions in place. And it's not going to be actually too different from coverage, I'd imagine, in season. What we saw here in East Lansing for Michigan State University was there was a lot of Zoom coverage. There was a lot of email correspondence back and forth and unique ways talking to players and coaches. How have you experienced that? Yeah, it's been weird just because, like I said, I've only been here a year and a half, so I barely had one basketball season under my belt. And even then 
it got cut off early with the pandemic. And so now I feel like everything is new. Like last season was new. And then now this season is new just because of the way things are handled. Um, but I am fortunate that I was able to get here before the pandemic just to sort of build some of that repertoire with coaches and some of the the returning athletes so that it is easier. And it could be it could feel very disconnected just doing everything through Zoom, through emails or whatever. But I, I feel like having that sort of foundation has helped so much this year. And it is a season of new beginnings for the BYU Cougars. They're coming in and they don't have to do a play-in game because Michigan State did not meet expectations. UCLA didn't quite either, but they had quite the impressive comeback to win to beat Michigan State last night behind some very strong performances, 80 to 60 in overtime. Now, what kind of team is the BYU Cougars for fans who will be watching for the first time? BYU is kind of a wild card. They can shoot from anywhere. They can play any type of game. What really helps them is that they have so much depth. So you might be focusing like, okay, Alex Barcelo is their go-to guy. But if Alex Barcelo gets doubled up and isn't able to shoot, they also still have Brandon Averett. They still have Matt Harms. And if those three big seniors um, get shut down, then they still have a good amount of like key reserves that are able to help. Trevin Nell has been spectacular over the last couple of weeks, especially from beyond the arc. And that's the thing, like they can shoot from anywhere. Like they've been dominant in the paint throughout most of the season, but they also are able to shoot um, from the arc. Now the name there that jumped out to me, Matt Harms, big 10 fans should know him. He was with Purdue the last three years and he's now having his best year with BYU at 11 points as a seven foot three center. And the roster for BYU, like you said, it's got a lot of depth just going down the list all the way from uh, Barcelo to Colby Lee. That's 11 players averaging 10 points or 10 minutes per game, if not more. How do they manage that roster and how do they make sure everyone gets involved? Because the scoring load, there might be top three guys kind of involved, but everybody else is contributing. Mm-hmm. Pope himself has said that it's been kind of difficult this season because usually there is a bigger emphasis on just your starters. But this whole season, he's moved around his starters and he didn't even really find the perfect fit of his starting line until later on in the season. And now you have even like the freshman um, Caleb Lohner in there and he's been spectacular the past few weeks. So it is kind of difficult because instead of focusing on a smaller group to really enhance and develop, now he's really developing eight, nine, ten players. So things get split up. But luckily there have been plenty of returners that have so much experience, and I believe that's what's been able to help them. Now, the leading scorers, Barcelo and Everett, they are guard play. And UCLA, from what I observed last night with Michigan State, is getting up early. I work in the morning show, so I usually am up from like midnight to 10, kind of was my shift. So I was like trying to get up extra early to watch Michigan State, and uh, so happy I uh, am sleep-deprived for that team. And (laughs) UCLA, they really seem to win on the strength of their wings between uh, Jaime and uh, Zugera and now Juzano he might be out hurt with this game but they've got a lot of guys who are that 6'6", 6'9". How do you think UCLA will match up with BYU going against a guard slash uh, senior center versus a plethora of wings? Yeah it's going to be really interesting. I feel like it's it's going to be a somewhat defensive battle, but one team will find their stride offensively and just start to like pound the basket. Um, 
But BYU has recently been really stepping up on their defense. So even though size-wise, Barcelo and Avery don't really match up with some of those wings from UCLA, they, they're, I don't know, they're just able to really put a stop to them. Now, if we look at the big picture overall, BYU, you said that they've developed a lot of depth, and that's not been an uncommon story this year with COVID. You don't know if a player is going to go out sick, what's going to happen, especially with the maybe the lack of training camp or off-season practice to really get someone in rhythm or up to speed. You're kind of being relying on more people for both stamina, conditioning, health, and all those purposes. BYU, they had a pretty solid season overall. Looking at it, they started off strong, reeling off a couple wins, non-conference play against teams like New Orleans, Utah Valley, and then kind of went back and forth against you know your top-tier teams. They they did play Gonzaga as the number one seed. That was almost a uh, 20-point loss, mm-hmm. but that is at least interesting to have that uh, cross-reference there. What would you describe as the uh, BYU's, the story of their season? How would their progression uh, over the season, what would their coaches tell you about that? Yeah, I believe like the early earlier season struggles were more of trying to find that team chemistry because there were still quite a few new players, especially transfers. And because of all the COVID protocols and whatnot, like they weren't able to meet as much. They weren't able to have the practices that they're used to having. They're not weren't able to have those team bonding and building exercises that they're used to having. So I feel like the chemistry wasn't able to get to the point that it is now as quickly as they would have liked. But now, I mean, they're opening elevator doors for each other to get a fallen teammate out of a stuck elevator. And I feel like their chemistry is the story. Like Pope really drills the whole best locker room in America mentality. And I see it with that team. And then it just translates onto the court and they will do anything for each other. And they're so selfless and the way they're able to bounce back from a loss. Like, yes, they've had some difficult losses and they've lost to Gonzaga three times, but each time each loss has been like a better loss. If that makes any sense, like they still, as a Michigan state fan, we definitely know what better losses are as that has happened throughout the season. Yeah. You, you hope it progresses to eventually a win as you learn more and more. Yeah, for sure. So like they've, they've learned from each loss and they, they've been able to build off of it. And in Pope's two year, uh, stint at BYU so far he has not had back-to-back losses and I feel like that really speaks volumes about this team now you said something about opening a door yeah. to, to rescue a teammate I I hadn't heard about that can you share that story yeah so apparently I believe it was two days ago but then the video just came out yesterday uh, Jesse Wade got stuck in an elevator so they had gone down to eat or something and then they were coming back and coach realized like hey where's Jesse and he realized some of his players were FaceTiming with him and that Jesse was stuck in an elevator by himself. And time went on and he was on FaceTime with him. And then he like, they're like, we need to do something about this. So then Jesse was like, I think I'm between the sixth and seventh floor. And then like between knocking and screaming, they were able to find him. And the team literally pried the doors open to get him out. He was stuck in there for about like 40 minutes. And they're like, no, like we need to get him out. Like who knows how long this will take. So yeah, wow i I am only familiar with that happening in like a movie or a TV show. Or Archer had a great bottle episode where they trapped everyone in an elevator. Yeah. That's uh, not quite a workplace appropriate episode, even though it's set in work. But it's just still the chaos that happens with that. 
climbing out of an elevator on the sixth floor as it be- it's between floors. That's. I think he wasn't actually between. I maybe he was like a little bit below, but from the video, it looked like he was actually closer to the floor. I think he just wasn't aware of like where he was, so he just gave like a, a guesstimate. Right. Well, but you, yeah. you still have to pry it open and just jumping out of an elevator that's not really set. That's that's not a very common experience, but it does sound like a great way to build team chemistry and team bonding of, hey, we're on that one time we got you out of the elevator. Now, that was in Indianapolis or yes. that was in the greater Indianapolis region? That Yeah, whatever <laughs> they're saying that. <laughs> it it kind of reminds me a little bit of the stories you hear about like when they're building the Olympic villages in, in Sochi or things like that. And there's these random things that kind of fell through the cracks. Now, Indianapolis is not dealing with, they're having to build up a whole infrastructure, but I guess you have that many people going to different hotel rooms. Eventually, one of the elevators might get a little quirky. <laughs> yeah, and Pope warned us that for us to keep an eye on their social medias, he's like, we're going to be having fun, like we're in quarantine, and like we're going to find ways to keep our team engaged and just like, you know, make sure that they don't fall into the quarantine blues. But none of us were expecting that. So how have you seen this team deal with the pandemic? Because it's you see a lot of campuses with different restrictions you're not really able to go out you're not able to see family now some players they're farther away from family so that's a little bit different but there's a lot of different things that have thrown off the norm and especially with basketball you're going to want your players to be available so those programs might be some of the most conscious things in the country right now when it comes to athletics Mm -hmm. not to say that it was good but i think it helped them that pretty much the whole team got covid in august so then they kind of they kind of all got it at the same time. They were able to all get through it and then start preparing for the season. Now, obviously, just because you've had COVID doesn't mean you can't get it again. I, I know that I've had COVID twice, um, but they've been so responsible. And as someone who has had COVID twice and who's asthmatic and like just all this stuff, like I'm like, thank you for being responsible. But it's also helpful that like BYU these athletes get married young too so there's like a couple married guys so they live with their wives and then like the other ones just like either live with their own teammates or on their own so they kind of already had their own bubble going on okay now now I'm I'm just curious you said you got COVID twice yes. um and Michigan our restrictions have been mostly low restaurant capacity or anything that wasn't grocery stores and just stores and shopping had to be closed. So movie theaters, entertainment venues, all of that stuff, bars and restaurants, they had been closed for many, many months up until through Christmas. And then after that, then they slowly started to reopen at 25% capacity, and they're now at 50% capacity with a mask mandate everywhere. Mm-hmm. What is it like in Salt Lake City right now? How is the local area addressing COVID? And then how is the school addressing COVID? I actually do not live in Salt Lake City because I cover BYU. So I live in Orem, which is right next to Provo. So we're we're about 45 minutes south of Salt Lake. But for the most part, there's been some, like there's been a lot of support, but then also there's been a lot of smaller issues. Like earlier on in the pandemic, there was a lot of protests. There was a lot of people complaining about the mask mandates. But then as the numbers continue going up, and especially when we had our bigger spike just a few months back, I think that's when people, it started dawning on them. Like, this is serious. Like we have to follow the rules. But I mean, I just, I don't, I rent a room. I stay in my room. The only time I go out is just to get food. But even then I order an insane amount of DoorDash to just prevent from going outside. That That is, yeah, the, the safest way to do it. And uh, I'm, 
I'm sorry to hear about your experiences, but I'm glad that you are doing well and you're able to still keep working. And it's not been, I'm assuming, too severe. Uh, I mean, it just the experience itself was just highly unpleasant, but then so far you're doing well enough. Mm-hmm. Now I'm dealing with COVID hair loss, but you know, that's another thing. Have uh, kind of looping this back into the team, have any of the players, Michigan State has had a few players that have had COVID and they were slow to get back up to speed. And that's been kind of an issue with that. Mm-hmm. You said the whole team got it in August. Have there been any players dealing with like long lasting effects or anything like that? Not that I know of. They're actually pretty big on like privacy. And if they don't have to share more than they have to, they Mm -hmm. won't. And we didn't find out that the whole team had had COVID until about October, I'd say. So by then they were all recovered. And so we didn't know. But I, I mean, I feel like there has to be at least a player or two. Like football had one player that really like became the storyline of how COVID could just strike anyone um young like a guy in his low 20s getting it and then coming back recovering and then after his first practice not being able to breathe and having all these issues and being um diagnosed with pneumonia and it's just like see like this can get anyone any which way but basketball so far i haven't noticed any of those types of stories yeah the most player of uh, national reckonance i can think of with the nfl there was a I think a running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars and he got COVID and then he wound up missing the whole season because there had been lingering health complications. So it's it's just kind of one of those things where you just never know. And so far, everything I've seen with the NCAA tournament, there's been very, very minimal positive testing, if next to none. So fingers crossed that everybody keeps doing those well and safely. Now going into the tournament, we've got the BYU-UCLA matchup. Tomorrow night, Saturday, as of this recording, it's Friday. Let's just jump right into it. How do you think the team is going to fare? Who do you think is going to come out ahead? Looking at the betting line right now, I believe BYU, the spread, it favors them by three and a half points. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's going to be a really close one. Um, I don't know. I. It's going to be tough, but as someone who has no real connection to BYU, but yet covers them. And so like my job depends on, you know, like if they keep playing, then I keep working type of thing. Um, I feel like I would like to see BYU win, but at the same time, if they don't, they've already had such a magical season that like as a third party observer, I'm like, you you guys did good already. Like I'm fine either way, but I'm just really hoping for a really good game. I hope they both, both teams come out really prepared wanting to fight and just give us one of those classic March Madness games. Do you anticipate it would have been a rather similar situation if we're going to now play the hypothetical game if Michigan State was in UCLA spot? Yeah, for sure. I feel like, if anything, the majority of people were expecting Michigan State um, to move on and meet BYU. So I feel like it would have been sort of the same thing. Just now UCLA kind of wanted it a little bit more, which makes them a little bit dangerous. Yeah, the, the career performances the other night and the the grit for UCLA to come back into it, that's going to be very interesting. It'll also be interesting to see, in my opinion, if, if overtime impacts their legs at all or if that got them into rhythm where BYU gets a few days extra of rest. So what would be the big thing that you think fans looking at this matchup for BYU, what should they be keen in? Maybe not necessarily a superstar player, but what's going to be like a big factor or... Um, a unique tick about the team that 
you've observed over the season? It's going to be interesting to see how quickly BYU can get their legs under them. Throughout the season, they've been more like of a second-half team, and they've had quite a few games where they're, they've started off slow, particularly in the first half, like the entire first half. And at this stage of the game, you can't afford to start off slow. You can't afford to to let another team run away with the game because we're you guys are in the NCAA tournament now. Like this loss now ends your season. It's not just an added loss to your record. And so I, I they've been sort of like half and half because they have had long pauses throughout this season, and sometimes they come out really sharp, and sometimes they come out really slow. So that will be the main thing that I'm that I'm interested in seeing how they are able to respond to this time off and see how they're able to play against a team that just played yesterday. So they have, you know, like they have the momentum going. Well, Norma, I think we've covered it. So we're here. Let's do a final score. If you're going to throw out a final score prediction, the old cliche for radio, as we've now migrated to audio recordings, what would you peg it as? Oh, <sighs> Let's go 79-75 BYU. There you go. All right. Well, you heard it there. BYU moving on to the next round of the tournament. And I'll be very, very interested to see after I've put in a lot of investment in this specific part of the bracket. So I'm uh, pulling for it. And Norma, I really thank you for taking the time out of the middle of all the coverage to come on the Sports Blitz podcast. Where can people follow your work? And can you tell us what you're working on right now? Well, I'm working on different advances for the NCAA tournament, both the men's and the women's. And I'm working on a story on football, spring camp, and all types of things. Um, But yeah, for the most part, all my work you can find on sltrib.com. And then my work Twitter is sltribbyu. Well, Norma, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was fantastic to talk to you and to get a whole new perspective on uh, another set of a bracket and uh, another part of the country. It was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Norma Gonzalez with the Salt Lake Tribune. And that's going to do it for today's show here on the WILX Sports Blitz podcast. Thank you so much for listening. My name is John Gustin. If you want to follow me on social media, you can search John Gustin News on Facebook or JGustin113 on Twitter. That's JGustin, J-G-U-S-T-I-N-113. To make sure you're getting the news that matters to mid-Michigan and so much more, make sure you're watching WILX News 10. I'm the executive producer for The Morning Shows with Mallory Anderson and Claire Cameron and the rest of our fantastic crew there. Kellen Buddy said he was going to be in the 90. That is the 90 minutes of news from 5 to 6.30 p.m. weekdays on WILX News 10. He will have the most important information that he's been able to dig up about the MDHHS's new restrictions and settings for the MHSAA and all the other acronyms you can think of for athletics and beyond with the state of Michigan and how that's impacting those. So tune in there and uh, make sure you go to WILX.com as well for all that information. So again, thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next time.